morning and he uh, got struck with something last night and he couldn't make it. My son, by the way, um, Samuel, we adopted a special needs child from Vietnam. This is interesting. It's great being in a church that believes in the supernatural because then the supernatural happens. You see, you get what you believe for. And if you don't believe healing and miracles for today, you're probably not going to see any. The Bible says that desire them, pursue them. We're after God. And so here's an example. About a week and a half ago, my wife had a dream that Samuel had a really high fever, like beyond normal. Two days later, he got a fever, and it went for 12 days. A 12-day fever is incredibly abnormal. And when she went to the doctors, they just said it's viral. And then they went back to the doctor, and they said it was hand, foot, mouth. But, but um, Hope knew because of that dream, no, there's something else going on here. And when she finally got to our pediatrician, he ran a blood test that the other doctors did not run. And he said, no, there's something else going on here. And he found uh, what it was, uh, which is uh, septicemia, which is bacteria in the blood. And you have to understand that that was not caught. It's fatal. So you see, the Holy Spirit, through a dream, gave my wife the strategy of the enemy trying to take out this beautiful boy that God had us adopt. And so that's why she's not here today, because she's got to take him back to the doctors today. Can we pray for him right now? Father, we do not accept assignments of the enemy in this house. And we thank you, Holy Spirit. Just as you gave three visions this morning about doing this prayer tunnel, you gave my wife a vision, a dream, about the enemy's strategy to take out our son. And we say no to that strategy in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We break its power. Lord, you said whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth is loose in heaven. So we bind the strategy of the enemy and we say no to the name of Sept- uh, uh, septicemia. It must bow its name to the name above every name, the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray that you begin to break every illness, chronic illness and disease in this house. We pray and receive the flow of the authority and the healing power that comes from the provision of the cross into this place and every family. We pray, God, for... I could just go down a list, and I won't do that right now. We just pray, God, we want you to break out in this place. Do spontaneous healings and miracles like we've never seen before. We pray for Gary, Lord, who had to call me this morning, one of the leaders in this church. We pray for him. We lift up our leaders, God. We lift up Gary right now, God, and we say, deliver him this morning. Set him free, God. Strengthen his body. Make him powerful. See, Gary's over our healing ministry in this church. And that's what the enemy does. He comes after those who are over healing ministries with sickness. He comes after worship leaders with depression. He comes after uh, teachers and leaders in the body of Christ with self-doubt. You see, these are strategies of the enemy. That's why it's good that we're in a, a series on community. Because, you see, when we do this together, we can beat the brains out of the devil in every assignment he has. He cannot defeat the body of Christ when we are one. There's too much of the Holy Spirit flowing. Too many gifts flowing for Him to be able to withstand. And so I want to continue forward in this uh, message on, on the community. Um, but uh, 
I've got to do like three or four things at one time here because our time's, the clock's ticking, and uh, we have quite a few things to do. I want to receive the offering right now, uh, but I want to say something to you that I, I feel like the Lord put on my heart this week. The Lord gave me a prophetic word before this season started, this year started. I was walking down the beach in Coronado on a three-day fasting and prayer. And I said, Lord, what's 2009 about? And he said, prosperity. Now that shocked me because of the backdrop of the economy. And I didn't even want to bring that word to you because it sounds cheap. It sounds irresponsible. But then Tim got the exact same word. And he even had, he even told Michelle, his wife, and they put the word prosperity on his desk at his office. Now, he did that before he and I ever spoke and before I even talked about it. Then my associate pastor said that God told him the same thing. Some of you have been believing that. Now, listen, we don't need the word of the Lord if it can be accomplished in the natural. The word of the Lord comes to break up the natural and do something beyond all expectation. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or even think. So you see, Jesus comes and makes a way where there is no way. So we cannot be spiritually insecure when the Lord gives us a prophetic word that smacks up against the natural. The Bible says to trust in the Lord, you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. Now, here's the story I was reading in the Bible this week. It's a story, uh, I have to be very quick because this isn't my message, we need to get to that. But this is very important because I I feel like I need to sow this in to you and to us regarding the economy and regarding God's economy that is not subject to the world's economy. God will provide all of your needs according to Wall Street. Is that what the Bible says? God will provide all of your needs according to your retirement account that's disappearing. What does the Bible say? Talk to me. God will provide all of your needs. He didn't say greeds. He does give us the desires of our hearts periodically, but He always provides for our needs according to His riches, which Wall Street cannot touch. In glory, through His Son Jesus. So if we're in Christ, our Father's faithful. He will provide for us. The story that He reminded me of was when uh, the, God's people were pinned up in a city and the enemy had cut off all supply to that city. And they were starving to death. There was famine. There was no water. And uh, the prophet said to the king and to the king's right-hand man, tomorrow you'll be able to buy a loaf of bread for a penny and milk for a penny. And the king's right-hand man said, even if God were to open up windows in the heavens, how, how could that be? And the prophet said, you're going to see it, but you're not going to taste it. The next day, four lepers sitting outside the front gates of the city because they weren't even allowed in. They're the most desperate of everybody. They're not even allowed in the city where there's a famine because they're lepers. They said, look, we're going to die anyway. Why don't we just go to the enemy and see if they'll give us some food? So they go to the enemy's camp, and as they moved forward, God created an earthquake, and he made it sound like there were chariots and horses coming against the enemy, and they all freaked out and threw down their goods, and they, the, the whole enemy scattered and ran. And so the lepers are 
taken up all the spoil and they said, you know what, this isn't right. We've got to go tell everybody about it. So they go back to the city and they say, this is what happened. We went to the enemy's camp. They're all gone and all their spoils, they left everything behind. And the king's right-hand man said, no, he didn't say anything. He already said what he said. You know what happened? The people got so excited about it, they started running out the front gate of the city and their king's right-hand man was the gatekeeper. And they ran him over and trampled him to death. And they all went, and they went from complete lack and hopelessness to prosperity that fast. Let's not be like the king's right-hand man and say, if God were to open up the heavens, how could that happen? Well, because God is not watching CNN. God is faithful, and we are God's people. This isn't to get your money. If you know me, I love you. This is about us being a people of faith and honoring God with our faith and believing His prophetic words that He gives to us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray that You will remove all fear from our hearts and that we will truly walk on water with Jesus in this economic situation and that You will create opportunities where there are no opportunities, open up doors of opportunities where there are no doors of opportunity, that You will cause men to give into our bosom, God, till we are overflowing. And we promise, Lord, to not be hoarders, but to be givers and to care about the poor and the widows and the needy and be a river, not a lake in this place. So, Lord, open up doors of opportunity. Bring prosperity into this house so that we can be a blessing and a testimony, a trophy of the goodness of God. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 All right. Why don't you come down and receive the uh, offering ushers. If you've been pulling back on your tithe, now would be a good time to repent. And start to sow again. In July, we're uh, leaving this facility for three Sundays. We're going to do church in the park. We're going to do uh, Make a Difference Day, church in the community, serving the community. And uh, then we're going to go back to the park and have a huge celebration of the festival. Then we'll come back into this building. You'll be hearing a lot more about that. That's in July. It's coming your way, but it's going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be church out of the balls, church out of the box. And uh, God's going to do some amazing things. Also, I was listening to our worship CD on the way to church today. You've got to get one of these. This, this is our band's first worship CD. And uh, half the band wasn't even here today. And yet these guys were worshiping, man. That was awesome. So you grab the CD on your way out. But let's get into the Word of God this morning. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that your Word is not chained by the natural circumstances, but it breaks all chains. You created the worlds with your word. Create our world, God, with your word today. In Jesus' name. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you have ever been dishonored? Raise your hand. Dishonored. Dishonored. What did you think I said? Dishonest. How many of you have ever been dishonest? Let's start there. Raise your hand. Wow. The fear of God is in this place so strong that people are just confessing sins that I haven't even t- brought up. That's great. Just get it out. Get it cleaned out. It's good to be cleaned out of all that stuff. Be free. How many of you have ever been 
dishonored by somebody. Your reputation has been maligned. They've devalued you. They've ignored you. Okay, how did that feel? How many of you have ever been honored by somebody? They took your advice. They took your opinion. They... Rejoiced when God blessed you and they were a part of that. And they, How did that make you feel? You see, the human spirit is very sensitive to being honored and dishonored. We feel it. We might not be able to articulate it, but we feel it. Being honored feels right and good. Being dishonored feels ugly and bad. And it breaks us on the inside. Why is that? Because from the very beginning of time... Psalm 8 says this, You made Him, that's you and me, the human race, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned Him with glory and honor. You see, you and I were made in the image of God. You have notes in your uh, bulletin if you'd like to use them. You and I were created in the image of God and God is full of glory and honor. We fell from glory. We all fell short of the glory of God, and we feel that. We feel our imperfection. We feel that we have fallen from glory. We feel like we fail at things that we are trying to do our best in. We feel shamed by it. Then when others add to that fall from glory by dishonoring us, it dismantles us on the inside. And we're clawing and scraping to regain that place that intrinsically we know we belong, and that's in the place of honor. It's not self-promotion. It's God's creation. Do you know that you are the pinnacle of God's creation? And men, do you know that women are the pinnacle of the pinnacle of God's creation? Do you know that He created man first? Before the way he, he created man after he created everything else, and then he said, You know what? I'm just not done yet. I've got to put the finishing touch on this. And Adam said, What? Whoa, man. Yeah. And we were the glowing pinnacle, the final full expression of God's creation. This is why we identify with being honored, and it feels right. And yet, being dishonored cripples us. In fact, look at, that's why today what I want to do is I want to talk about creating a cult, continue to create a culture of honor in the house of God. The Bible talks about how we should behave in the house of God. A couple of weeks ago I talked about life and death is in the power of the tongue. And if we criticize one another, we tear one another down. But if, but if we speak not flattery, which is self-serving. I want you to like me, so I'm going to say nice things about you. But genuine encouragement, it says we literally impart graces into one another that build one another up through our words of encouragement. Then last week we talked about not destroying a person's reputation through gossip and slander, but rather building one another up. And I've even heard testimonies this week of how people heard gossip and slander and they called it gossip and slander. And said, you know what, that's gossip and slander. We don't do that at the gathering place. You see, we need to protect our unity, protect one another at all costs. And today I want to talk about continuing to develop a culture of honor here in the house of God. 
To honor means to value. To dishonor means to devalue. And psychologists have well documented the destructive results of being dishonored. Look at some of these characteristics. Drug and alcohol abuse, chronic lying, procrastination, extreme pride, self-centeredness, narcissism, workaholism, and the need to achieve more and more, vicious emotional cycles, repeated absences from church and school, extreme submission, legalism, severe withdrawal from society, sexual difficulties in marriage, lower academic achievement, feelings of loss and control, self uh, stress-related heart problems, deep feelings of loneliness, suicidal thinking and attempts, problems with the del- delinquency, poor mate selections in marriage, clinical depression, poor decision-making, lowered career achievement, a pattern of outbursts of anger, low energy in accomplishing school or work tasks, extreme self-criticism, gravitation toward cults and fringe religious groups, and having unrealistic expectations of self and others. That's why... The Bible says this in Romans 12 and and 1 Peter 2. Honor one another above yourself. In the house of God, we are to honor one another. And not just honor one another, but honor one another above yourself. Now, isn't that counterintuitive to our selfish fallen nature? It takes character to honor somebody else. Because that means they're going up a level while you stay here and watch. And you help them go up. But it takes deep character to honor someone else above yourself. And yet this is what the Bible says the church is supposed to look like. Then it goes a step further and goes completely out of human capability and says honor all people. And when Paul wrote that, Nero was king, and he was a persecutor of the church. And Paul's saying, honor all people, because all authority comes from God. God created the human race in His image, and we are not to dishonor, though it is such a temptation, especially for those who have hurt us and don't deserve honor. And yet the way that we counteract The dishonor in the world is by overcoming evil with more evil, revenge. Why does it feel so good when we watch movies where revenge is the motivation of the entire movie? And when they finally blow the person to to smithereens at the end of the movie, it's like, ah, such satisfaction because they deserved it. God says revenge is mine. I will take care of it. Because he knows that you and I We get into the revenge game and the payback game, it will destroy us. He tells us that your assignment is to honor one another. You've got to operate in the opposite spirit. That's how you stay free. That's how you stay healthy and whole and fruitful. In your marriage, in your home life, at work, in the church. Is to be a person that is proactively always looking for ways to honor others even above yourself and so how do we do this there are the bible talks about so many different categories of of people that we can honor the bible is just replete with it it's amazing it talks about i'm I'm not going to get into this today but here's a couple because i can only pick a few 
It talks about employers and employees in the Bible, honoring. It talks about employers. Pay good wages. Don't dishonor your employees who are working hard by paying them less than they're worth. You see? Then they're worth. It's a worth issue. I remember when I got paid for the first time I preached. I wasn't asking for money. I didn't want money. I was surprised they even asked me to preach. I was like 22 years old. And I preached at this church. And I thought, you know, just them saying thanks was enough. And they handed me a check. And I was like, wow. And I opened it up. It was $300. Now, $300 to me at that time was a, a lot of money. And I can't tell you what it did on the inside of me besides to say this. It so motivated me to go home and pray more than I ever prayed, study more than I ever studied, and to feed God's people with joy and passion. Why? Because I can make money doing it. Had nothing to do with it. They honored me. Honoring people motivates them. Dishonoring them demotivates them. It talks about employees not just doing enough to get by. The Bible says you're serving Christ. As an employee, even if your boss is a knucklehead, you've got to shift on the inside and make this concrete basement decision, ground floor decision, I am at work serving Jesus as my boss. So I will do my best for him. And then God will promote you. And many times you know what he will do? He will remove your boss or improve your boss. And that's one of the prayers I pray. Improve him or remove him. I pray that for, for every political position. I, I pray that for every seat of authority in society. I say improve him or remove him. But I am going to serve like I'm serving Jesus Christ. And that's the way that you honor your employer and you honor God. Another one is do not dishonor the poor in church by giving people that are rich the front seats and honoring them and giving people that are, that are poor the back seats and ignoring them. James says this ought not be so. See, that's how you dishonor the poor. And yet we do that all the time in the world is honor the rich and dishonor the poor. And Jesus comes and flips everything upside down. You see, we need to honor all people. Honor the rich, honor the poor, honor the middle class. We just honor people. And so let's jump into a few of these that apply directly to us here. Number one, well, let me uh, back up here for a second. How can we honor one another? Before I get into the practicals, which I just did, but now I'm backing up. We must believe, listen, this is so important. On a general basis, no matter who you're dealing with, we must believe that the work of God and a person's life is greater than their personal present condition or situation. How many of us leave a person in the place the last time we saw them or dealt with them? You know, I was in a conversation recently and somebody, you know, said, oh, that person could never do something like that because we heard that somebody had been promoted to a certain position. I said, you know what? God has done some pretty incredible things in me in the last 10 years. And honestly, I've seen some pretty incredible things accomplished in you in the last 10 years. Don't you think that maybe God has also possibly growed, grew that, growed, <laughs> grown, growled, did some God stuff in that person too? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing how we just freeze people in the, in the uh, maturity continuum that we last saw them? Let's not do that to one another. 
That's why, it's, that's why sometimes, that's why God said to Abraham, get away from your family, get away from your culture, I've got to do a new thing in you. Because isn't it funny how, like here, everybody knows me as, as John, the pastor of the Gathering Place Church. Mighty man of God. Incredible. Amazing. I've never met anybody like him before in my life. Best pastor in the world. I go home. <laughs> one of my, one of my, one of my uh, spiritual gatekeepers is over here saying, stop it, stop it. <laughs> the, the blessing's going to lift off our church. We pray too hard and too long. Stop it, stop it. And yet I go home for Christmas, it's Johnny. The youngest of six. And you kind of fall back into that role, don't you? Because it was that environment that shaped you, and you kind of like fall right back into that rut. Let's not do that to one another. God's always on the move in people's lives. He's always changing us into the glory and the image of His Son, Jesus. We need to believe that God is at work in people's lives. Look what the Bible says. May God Himself, the God of peace sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. First Thessalonians. I love Philippians 1, 6 out of the message translation. There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this, say it out loud, great work in you. What is that great work? That you're going to be fully restored to your place of glory and honor. The image of the Son of God Himself. That's where you're headed. That's where we're headed. That this great work in you, He would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Christ Jesus appears. Think about the woman at the well. John chapter 4, if you're not familiar with it. She had already been married five times. The woman she was living with was not her husband. You know that all the men in the town, what did I say? I'm trying to stay current. Just trying to stay relevant and keep it real. I'm just, I'm just not sure that I have much to offer you this morning. I think the Holy Spirit's helping me. Wow. Thank you. See, that's an encouraging word right there. Thank you. Everybody in the town had her in a box. She, she was just garbage. She's never going to change. She's been married five times. What, the sixth time is going to be the ticket? Do you think anybody in that town believed in her? That she'd ever be anything, any, ever be anything great? Especially for God? Come on. In that culture... In that environment, what do you think the Pharisees, the spiritual leaders of the day, the professional religionists thought of her? But what did Jesus think of her? He said, 
I see the first New Testament evangelist. Well, we don't even believe in women preachers around here. Jesus, God, saw her in the glory and honor she was destined to live in. And He brought dignity to her. Even His own disciples, His congregation. Jesus, what are you doing? Mm. They didn't even talk to Him about it. They talked to one another. What's He doing talking to a woman? And she's a Samaritan. Well, what if they knew the whole scoop on her? Man, she wouldn't have stood a chance in their church. And yet she becomes the first evangelist in the New Testament. And all the men from the town that she was known in as, I don't even want to use the terminology, scum get saved through her preaching. See, Jesus just likes to turn things up on their head or maybe turn them upside right. He just comes in, shakes it all out. He takes Paul, Saul. Come on. Saul was murdering Christians. Do you think anybody saw him as Paul, the apostle, the author of two-thirds of the New Testament, raising the dead? Having statues made of him in his honor 2,000 years later. Even after he got saved, he wasn't welcomed in any church. And Barnabas had to come along and say, hey you guys, he really got saved. And, and, I, and I, think, I think God's going to use him. And many times, we need others to come alongside of us and talk to us about what God can and is going to do through us. We need them. We need brothers and sisters. We need one another to see God's call on each other's lives and prophesy that into one another. Like Jonathan did to David. Yes, David was anointed king. He was going to be the next king of Israel. He had slain his ten thousands. But for 20 years, the king, the present king Saul, out of jealousy and envy, dishonored David by accusing him of things he never did, destroying his reputation, and got the armies of Israel to chase David to try to kill him. And then finally, he gets a congregation of people and they were meeting in a cave. And the description of his congregation was all of those who were in debt, discouraged, and distressed came to David. Do you think he may have had difficulty seeing and believing that one day he would become the greatest king Israel ever had? 
and be reported of throughout the entire Bible as a man after God's own heart. Do you think there were ever days, especially when he comes back to the only town he was allowed to live in, which was the town of the enemy, the Philistines, he couldn't even live in his own country. He had to go to the Philistines' country where he used to kill tens of thousands of Philistines and ask them, can I live here with you? And they give him this little town on the backside of nowhere, this little nothing town. And he's there with his 400 distressed, in-debt, discouraged men. And as he's out trying to fight a battle with the Philistines, his town gets invaded. His wives, children, and all their goods get stolen and the, and the city gets burnt to the ground. And then all of his men want to kill him. Now everybody wants to kill him. Even those who are distressed and dead and discouraged want to kill him. Do you think he might need somebody to come and add value to him? Speak about God's glory and honor coming his way. God's still going to do great things through you. That's what Jonathan did for David. He came and honored him. He said, God is going to use you. You are going to be the next king. And by the way, I'm going to be right at your right hand side. <laughs> and yet Jonathan was supposed to be the next king. But he could see through his jealousy, through his envy, that God rejected Jonathan of being the next king. Jonathan was supposed to be the next king. And yet because Jonathan cared more about the economy of God, he could see the anointing on David... And he came to David, and he honored David above himself. We're not talking about a promotion at work, folks. We're talking about being the next king of the most powerful army on the planet. The people of God. And Jonathan recognized, for some reason, God has decided that I will not be the next king. He could have just been like his dad, full of envy and jealousy. What did he do? He stepped outside of himself, saw what God was doing, went up to David who was discouraged about his calling, and Jonathan was the one God used to honor David and said, you will be the next king. And then David writes in the Psalms, you have been so good to me, God. You have crowned me with glory and honor. It came to pass. We need to see one another through the eyes of faith. I'm going to stop here and we'll continue this next week. And we'll get into some real practical ways about how to honor your wife, how to honor your husband, how to honor your children, how to honor your parents, how to honor the leadership of your church, how the leadership should honor the members of the church. That is the second half of what I was going to share today, but we're out of time. But I think this seed, this revelation is enough today to challenge us to the core about not dismantling and dishonoring God's creation, let alone our own brothers and sisters. God has called us together, family, to do a great thing in God and with God so that He can do a great thing through us. And the way we do it is by honoring one another building each other up to become the glory and the honor and the image of God.
Let's develop and continue to grow in a culture of honor at the Gathering Place Church. Amen?